Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Merry Christmas. And Glenn Leverins. That's how I know. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Oh, morning air, you're home for happy baby noises on the radio. You know, this time of day, we're the home for happy baby noises. Maybe if it's the middle of the night, uh, those baby noises aren't as happy for you. But uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Glenn in for John today. Uh, Sarah gone as well today, but uh, Gabby running the ship for us. Thanks for joining us here on the Friday before Epiphany here in the U.S. as those wise men make their way across the living room closer and closer to the nativity scene. Uh, thanks for joining us. And a big hour lined up for you to help you get uh, going and on your way bright and early in this brand new year. We'll have Bishop Daniel Munkenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada, taking a look at Sunday's Gospel reading for the Epiphany as well. From uh, Theology of the Body magazine, Embodied magazine, we'll talk about how Theology of the Body has helped men get a Accurate look at masculinity, and it's five days, six days into the new year already. My goodness, are you, are you still uh, doing perfectly on those New Year's resolutions? We're going to take a, a look at New Year's resolutions and some good things to resolve to do, simple things, important things to do, and we get to do that with Father Bob Paglieri, one of our favorite guests here on Morning Air. He's a Redemptorist priest and professor of theology and communications at St. John's University. Still Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, Father Bob. Great to have you along this morning. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, Good morning to you and to Gabby and to all of our listeners. If you're walking along the sidewalk with your phone and you're texting, stop doing that. Because you might knock somebody down, <laughs> and, uh, and you know that's been a problem, as I'm sure it is in many, many areas. But uh, thank you, thank you. It's been ni- it's nice to be with you, uh, Glenn. I'm not sure exactly why you're associated with the accordion. Do you play the accordion? May I ask? Oh, <laughs> well, as a small child, eight, nine, ten years old, my folks made me take accordion lessons. They wanted me to be the next Myron Florin, who was the Lawrence Welk accordionist on the old TV show. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to play guitar instead. And so we went to the music store, and and uh, my mom was like, we wanted to play the accordion. I, I want to play guitar. Well, you guys go home next week and figure it out. Come back next week and let me know. And, of course, all this is decided that a, a pay grade my parents uh, well above me but i i got a black an eye a black eye the, the one and only time in my life i got a black eye out playing that week come back uh, for lessons the next week my mom says he's taken accordion lessons and the guy behind the counter says oh looks like mom won the fight and so accordion lessons it was but i i kept him going father just long enough to learn enough to be dangerous and use as a morning show gag from time to time and so uh don't make too much noise with it if you've heard a little bit of uh, christmas music on the show intros uh, through the season here uh that's actually me and you know i uh, granted it's uh you know, comedy speed at uh, how how well I play or don't. But uh, as long as we're, you know, talking about accordion stuff, there was one pledge drive years ago, Mm -hmm. and one of Lawrence Welk's daughters supports one of our stations in Montana. And she pledged, excuse me, a nice pledge amount. 
if I would play a real song all the way through, as opposed to just joking about it, because we would say, hey, you know, uh, uh, pledge some money and I'll play, and if you pledge more, I won't play, you know, and that was kind of our strategy. But uh, anyway, so for for one day, I played a whole song the whole way through, and I was a professional accordionist for for one day. My folks had had passed on before that, but they would have been proud to know for one day their son was a a professional accordionist. And and so there's the not very short story, but thanks for asking. I hadn't shared that in 10 or 20 minutes at least. So thanks for for asking. But as a New Year's resolution, I pledge that absolutely no money from relevant radio pledge drives go toward accordion lessons. We don't spend any of those funds on accordion lessons, and uh, that'll be obvious. Those are the times I usually pick it up. (laughs) I won't be seeing you as an organ grinder here on the streets of New York, I suppose. (laughs) No, I did take a picture once outside of the world-famous Lambeau Field in, uh, in Green Bay, sitting next to my case, pretending to busk but we had to do it quickly because they run a tight ship out there and i didn't want to get kicked out but uh, yeah no i won't be one of the things you're bumping into when you're walking around texting in new york city now it used to be in the big city there what you had to worry about was just people walking fast and not making way but now they're doing that while they're distracted and and it's not very kind or compassionate to one another is it father I don't think it's considered at all, Glenn. I, re- I really don't. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one of my confers, he, he was, uh, God bless his soul, he's dead now, but he, was, he, was, he lived to be 99. He was 86, and uh, a bicyclist knocked him down, actually, mm. uh, because she was texting while she was bicycling. And, and this is really unfortunate, and as I say, inconsiderate, okay? We have to be more considerate, I think, of other people. And that's just one example. I think that I, it's hard for me, Glenn, here in New York, especially to walk down the street without, having, without every single block, somebody walking and texting while they're walking. And occasionally they glance up, but, but sometimes they don't. So you have to kind of sidestep. <laughs> and if, if, you're, if there's two people who are texting at the same time walking toward each other, you know, it's going to be black eyes all over again, <laughs> as you said, suggested earlier. Uh, but that's only one thing. I, I'm uh, actually I was I was uh, thinking about what you said earlier. There's only three more weeks left in January, and as I say, most or a lot of almost the majority of New Year's resolutions uh, are are gone, are fail by February first. I mean, this is amazing to me. Okay, so that's why I thought, well, let's maybe come up with an easier. New Year's resolution, like just being considerate. What do you think about that, Glenn? <laughs> just being considerate. Well, I, I love the idea of the resolution is easy enough to do. It's something that we can pick up once again. It's not like, oh, I, I failed to be considerate today, so I guess I'm done until uh, 2024. No, we don't want to be like that. But even better yet, perhaps the resolution focuses outward toward others, and it's not just our own thing, our own weight loss, our own getting rid of smoking, our own exercising more. It looks toward others, which is what we're really called to do. That's a wonderful that's a, that's a wonderful take on it, Glenn. It really, really is. Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, that's exactly, that you hit the nail on the head, that's exactly the heart of Christianity. Less self-centeredness, more other-centeredness. Because that's what Christ was, I mean, obviously. And that was the example that he gave us. I mean, he gave up his own life for us, for heaven's sake. Uh, actually, for our sake, I should say. Uh, but but the, we have to follow in that, in that same footstep. And if it's a cross, 
I don't think it's a very heavy cross to be considerate, you know, to, to hold the door open for somebody else or, or or just a couple of pleases and thank yous, maybe starting around the house. You know, that, that wouldn't be so bad. Uh, I, I'm sorry to have to say this, but our exterminator was in yesterday, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I offered him when he was leaving. It's a four-story rectory, so it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a task. So as he was leaving... Uh, you know, we had gone through the kitchen, we had gone through the, this basement, we had gone through all the rooms, of course. And so I, I said to him, would you, would you like a, a, a bottle of water? We had one, you know, these 16 ounce bottles of water. And he said, yes, Father, and, and I'll have an orange and an apple, too. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's a very strange way of asking for, for lunch, you know. I mean, I, I gave it to him, but no, and, and may I also please have this, or would you consider that, or can you spare this, you know? No, and this kind of like entitlement because when he was doing the kitchen, he saw this bowl of fruit. Uh, I mean, I, if it had been my mom's house, it, I would have said it's all fake fruit. <laughs> and moms love to do that. But, uh, well, you know, maybe yeah. it was part of the whole extermination thing. And he thought if he, you know, takes uh, less of the, uh, the, you know, the bug food out of your house, he's just being being kind to you, perhaps. That was it. I don't know. Well, you are being very, very considerate right now. <laughs> More considerate than I was when I when I when I, I counted a double take. I thought, my goodness, this is a very strange way of asking for something. But I think we all have a tendency to do that if we're not careful, or as you pointed out very, very correctly, if we're not more conscious of being Christian. That is, less self-centered, more other-centered, and that's more Christ-like. That's what Christians are and should be. Father Bob Paglieri joining us here. We're talking today about consideration, uh, talking about being considerate as a New Year's resolution, one you could add to your list if you haven't yet, easy enough to do any given day. We don't know when we're called upon to be that way, and even if uh, we don't think we're called upon to be that way, if we leave something better than we found it, uh, even without anybody around, that can be considerate as well. And when it becomes a habit like any good resolution, Father, when it becomes a habit, it kind of becomes part of who we are and what we do. And then when we put the Christian spin on it, too, we're not doing it just when there's an audience or we're not doing it even for the response of that other person, but because that's that's who we are. That's our brand as a Christian. That's how we behave. And that's how we should be identified, easily identified by other people. And that's, that's how the early Christians were. This is see how they love one another, meaning see how considerate they are of one another, okay? Because that probably was not the case uh, so often back then. And it certainly isn't the case today in culture. It's all about me. It's all about you know my identity or my way or my way of thinking or my way of seeing or my reality. Um, but this is not a Christian attitude. It, it, it really it really isn't. But maybe our listeners can, can phone in some easy uh, considerations as well that you're thinking of as you're listening. What are some simple ways that we can be a little bit more considerate of other people in this new year. And I, I think this is a wonderful way to emerge away from the uh, the COVID uh, blanket that we've been under for these past two years or more. Um, not that it's over with precisely here, at least not here in New York, but um, but anywhere, you know, these things can come back. But, but we've been isolated uh, for the past, uh, very, very isolated as a matter of fact. And so now as we're coming back, now it's time to remember we're not alone anymore. We we have to be a little more considerate. We're not doing our jobs via the the Skype or or, or the co- the computer. 
we're actually interacting with other people. And so it's a good time to be concerned. I wonder if other people might have some easy ways that they can think of and suggest to us that they can be, that we can be considerate in the year 2023. Share those ideas with us at 888-914-9149. It's toll free, 888-914-9149. Ways uh, you found to be considerate or maybe someone that's helped you out in, in such a way. And now here in the wholesome Midwest where I broadcast from in uh, Chile, Minnesota, Father, we had about a foot and a half of snow over the case of uh, two nights, uh, over the course of two nights this week. And so a lot of snow to shovel or use the snowblower for. And uh, our, our neighborhood blessed to be in a very friendly neighborhood people know one another and kind of take care of one another and it's like whoever's out there first with the snowblower uh kind of goes to work uh, on neighboring driveways as well and then you get all done the plow comes by and plows in the end of your driveway and it's tough to get out again but it's really uh, been a cooperative effort and i like to think back how uh, when i got my latest snowblower which actually wasn't working well yesterday after doing half the neighborhood the previous two days but anyway uh when i, I got that new you know 10 12 years ago and and I didn't get a chance to use it that winter. We, we had a, a small handful of snowstorms big enough to warrant that, but uh, my driveway would get done for me before I could get out there. And then the one time I hadn't used it yet myself, but the guy across the street I could see as I was working, looking out the window, he was having trouble, and I was working from home that day, but I let him use my snowblower, and so the first use of it wasn't even me. It was the guy across the street doing it, and then I didn't get a chance to do my driveway because the guy on one side did it, and then the next snowstorm, the guy on the other side did it, and so that was a great example of some consideration, and uh, we've got uh, John on the line in, in Philadelphia right now who I think wants to oh. share one of those examples, too. John, good morning. Go right ahead. You're Hello, on morning John. air. Welcome. Hey, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Good, who's this? Hey, John, you're on the air. I just might want to remind you to turn your radio down and listen over the phone there so we don't get some extra and confusing audio. But, uh, hey, it's Glenn in for John today, and we have uh, Father Bob Paglieri along as well. John, what's your story about consideration from Philly today? Well, you know what? I, I see ourselves as uh, recovering sinners, okay, We're, you know. Uh, so we all sin, we all miss the mark, and uh, you, even maybe recovering pagans, uh, you know, okay, that we've adopted the ways of the world, and we're not really acting Christian, okay? So I think when we get to heaven, God's going to ask us, uh, is there any evidence you loved your neighbor? Is there any evidence you loved your God? And uh, if we can't answer yes, and Forgiven those who have offended us, I don't think we get in. Uh, he holds up his two fingers and says, you know, you were really, really close, but you missed it by this much. And I don't think we want to hear that <laughs> in the new year or any year. Okay, so we're all subject to recall. And when we're being recalled, uh, you know, we want to have the uh, the right resume. So. That's my thought, and, and it's simple. It's uh, like walking one step at a time, you know, a thousand miles, one step at a time. And we all sin, and uh, we get back up, and uh, we get back in the race. Well, John, well, thank said, you for John. checking in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and absolutely correct, because that is what God is going to ask us, you know. Uh, how often did you do it to the least of my brothers and sisters? Then you did it for me. So you're, you're absolutely right, John. And missing the mark, uh, in, it's, uh, the word is harmatia in, in, the, in, in the Bible, 
And you're absolutely right. It has to do with like having an arrow shooting at a target and missing it altogether. And, and that's what that's the translation, of course, for the word sin. So missing the mark is absolutely correct. And, and with a little more consideration, I think we can hit the target, uh, the bullseye, if you will, uh, if you don't mind that image. And, and that's exactly what God is asking us to do. Christ died for and what we should be doing as Christians uh, toward one another. Thank you. Thank you, John, for that, for that, uh, for your call. I appreciate that uh, idea, Father, that uh, we're really loving our neighbor by being considerate. Some of these small things that kind of were a societal habit, uh, some might call them chivalry or whatever, and we've kind of lost a little bit of that right now. Hey, let's go to the phones again. It's Rose in Massachusetts at 888-914-9149. Rose, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, um, I wanted to just share a story. When my husband retired, he used to go, when it snowed, he'd go around and do all the men's houses that worked. So he said when they came home from work, they didn't have to look at the driveway full of snow. Wow. And one of our neighbors who didn't care for us that much, he had done hers because she had lost her husband. And she called another neighbor to thank him. And that neighbor says, I didn't do it. It's got to be, my, my husband's name was Gary. But she, she just would have never thought he would have done that. But that wow. didn't enter his mind. You know, he was just going out to help the people who worked. You know, it was just a good thing, a good example. I learned from it. Oh, that's great. Beautiful, Rose. Absolutely. We do surprise other people sometimes, or the people we least expect to be considerate, and it turns out that they fool us, and they are. It's been a wonderful surprise when that happens. Rose, thanks for sharing that story. And Father, I was thinking of some stories this week when I was out uh, snowblowing for quite a while as well, thinking back to a particular okay. Thanksgiving, and there was a neighbor my dad feuded with a little bit on and off, and I remember one Thanksgiving we got a big snowstorm, and early in the morning, out came the neighbor, and he you know, did our sidewalk and driveway, and it seemed like, well, that provided a little bit of a, a thaw in relations. Yeah, that was a nice thing. And the thing about my, my dad as well one time, and he, uh, we were, it was our first ever winter vacation, and I was in my late 30s by then, but the kids were old enough to travel a little better, and we went from the, the, the cold Arctic tundra of Minnesota down to Florida for a warm weather vacation, the first time ever in winter, and oh, that was awesome, you know, with the little kids on the beach picking some shells and Sanibel Island, is, which is, by the way, open again for uh, everybody after the hurricane. I heard just the other day now. So uh, anyway, uh, greetings to those uh, doing a little better in southwest Florida. But uh, it had snowed a lot while we were gone. And my dad had packed up his snowblower and driven about a half hour to my house to do out the driveway by the time we got back. And uh, in the process, actually, had poked a little hole in his uh, you know, truck topper for doing it. But I thought back. He was 82 years old at that time when he went to do that. And, you know, what a, a loving heart that was. You know, just one of those memories that come back. And so doing good things not only affect others through the years, but uh, can provide some of those mm. of those warm memories and also encouragement to kind of do good for others. Because doing good, being considerate, Father, is contagious, isn't it? It, it is. It, it, it absolutely is. I've been to Sanibel Island. I, I was when my sister and her husband and three kids went there for vacation. I joined them. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like a semi-furnished little apartment that they had rented the, on the beach side. But I'm laughing because they they had, you know, dishes and forks and knives and all this other stuff. And uh, my sister had brought some canned goods, uh, you know, a fruit cocktail and things like that. So um, <laughs> she was out with, with her husband on the back porch. 
And uh, she said to the kids, well, go in and open one of the cans and put it, you know, get it ready for, for some dessert. Well, they came back and said, there's no can opener. And she said, no, this is fully furnished. There has to be a can opener. So I went in. They were looking for the electric can opener because that's all they knew. So I reached into the drawer and I, and I pulled out one of the mechanical ones like we used to yep. have. Like, yep. you know, punch on <laughs> remember? And I said, what do you think this is? And they looked at me, all three of them. And they said, we don't know what that is. <laughs> they spent the rest of their vacation opening cans to be considerate of their mother and father. They were fascinated by you know, this, this, uh, this uh, manual labor of opening a can. But yeah, even something as simple as that can be considerate, you know, like, like you're saying. Um, yeah, opening the door or opening the cans or, or, or shoveling the snow. Myself, I'd rather shovel rain, but if it does snow, <laughs> then, then I'm happy to help somebody if I can. And, you know, an yeah. extra extra layer of consideration, too, when we talk about can openers is uh, often yeah. donating some of the mechanical ones uh, would be a great thing when donated food shelves because often people who are getting the canned goods, maybe they don't, if you know, they, they might find themselves with cans of things, but no way to open them easily. And so no way to open uh, consider them. that. And some of those real small camping size ones too might might be the trick as well. With just a quick couple minutes left, Father, uh, talk about the, the holy homework you have for us in the new year of 2023 here. Well, I have a, a couple of examples. I've mentioned a few already, but the five examples that I mentioned in, in my Holy Homework article are very, very easy to do. Okay, Holding a door for somebody else to pass through. And uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to wait for them to say, oh, well, thank you. you know, like, or, or if they don't say thank you, well, you know, your majesty or something like that. But just do it because you want to, just because it's a nice thing to do, uh, holding the door for somebody else. Um, here's another one. This might be a little more difficult, allowing somebody in line behind us to proceed before us. Now, we all have to wait in line somewhere, whether it's at the doctor's office or in the food store, okay? And you, you make, some of our listeners will be thinking, oh, my goodness, you think I'm going to let somebody in the food store my arm get in front of me? Well, that would be a very considerate thing to do, especially if they don't have too, too many items in their, in their basket, you know, just to... And while we're, while we're talking about giving away, what about letting somebody who's trying to get in front of us in traffic, you know, let's say from a side street, you know, giving them a little free pass to get in front of us? Let me tell you something. That never happens in New York City. It just never does. <laughs> and and that, I think that would be a wonderfully considerate thing to do. Of course, you're going to get a horn blowing behind you from somebody who says, why did you let that person in? But I think it's, it's very, very considerate. And I, again, a couple more you know, pleases and thank yous um, to, our, to our vocabulary. But at work and at home, starting at home, these homeworks, uh, Glenn, get us in the habit of being not just considerate of others, but really uh, more toward the expertise. That's what homework does. Huh? We practice and practice and practice until we become more expert at being Christian. And it's a great witness to that Christianity and a great way to get our heart in the, the right alignment and the right attitude as we practice loving our neighbor with that small thing, those small ways to, to be considerate. Thank you so much, Father. Always great to have you along. Look forward to our, our next conversation in the future, Lord willing. And there's more of Morning Air coming up, a story corner that's new for you today as we uh, wrap up our 
Christmas series of stories. That's coming up, plus a look at Sunday's Gospel for Epiphany with, with Bishop Daniel Mugenberg from Reno, Nevada, and uh, right around the corner, the little Theology of the Body Talk as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Here we are, wide awake and ready to roll. Glad for John today. Thanks for joining us for Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Story Corner coming up in, in just a little bit. The latest headlines on the way at the top of the hour as well. Right now, talking about Theology of the Body a little bit. The uh, magazine Embodied has some great articles this month. The founder and editor of Embodied Magazine joins us now from Cincinnati, Ann Gunlack. Uh, Ann, great to have you along this morning. Oh, Glenn, thank you for having me. All right. Hey, hey! before we dive into some of the specific articles uh, in this issue, uh, which is chock full of, of great things, talk a little bit uh, about the magazine and uh, really how it, how it aims to promote theology of the body. Well, it, it's a long journey. The Lord put this idea on my heart several years ago, and finally, two years ago, I made the leap. I left my job. I started a nonprofit, Embodied Publishing, uh, with a mission to produce this. And then after a year of vision planning and raising some funds, we had our uh, a sample gift issue came out in September of 2001, which people, if you go to the website, embodiedmag.org, you can download that for free. Um, and then in January, a year ago, was our first official issue. So we are a quarterly and we just now, the, the new issue coming out is the second year. Um, and the reason I did this was because in my past professional life, I learned about theology of the body. I worked for a Catholic organization that um, coupled a couple league that taught natural family planning. Theology of the body was a phenomenal help in getting people to understand the teaching against contraception. But it is so much bigger than that. I learned more of it on my own, and it just caused my heart to grow and grow. And yet, theology of the body is kind of a big, huge topic, and it can be daunting. And the Lord put on my heart to create a magazine that just told stories of people living from that perspective. Um, And in that way, I can show people what theology of the body is rather than you know, teaching. I mean, there is a little bit of teaching that is in some of the columns of the magazine, especially, but mainly it's witness stories about people witnessing their faith um, from that perspective of what God, how God views the human person. I've learned theology of the body is one of those topics in the church that is like a a light bulb flashing on when people hear about it, understand it for the first time. I can still remember one of uh, a former coworker here at Relevant Radio and uh, went away to a conference, learned about that and kind of like it changed her life. I mean, that was uh, all she wanted to talk about in in a good way (laughs) coming back after that, but became a huge fan. (laughs) Exactly. And it sounds, you know, even I don't fully understand why that impact is, but for myself, Personally, I worked for a Catholic organization my whole life. I was surrounded by good, holy Catholic people and families. I knew my faith. I was never one who walked away from it. But I'm telling you, theology of the body is the thing that I want to say from black and white to color. I mean, it's like it tied everything together for me from Genesis to Revelation. it, it, It really was even monumental for me you know, who was already a a committed Catholic. 
Um, but it, it more than anything else, it drove home to me how much God loves us. It's overwhelming, his love for us. And I always knew that in my head. I believed it. I never doubted it. But for some reason that I can't fully explain, learning more about theology of the body made it so real for me. It has changed who I am and how I see other people and how I treat them. So I'm very grateful for it. Oh, we're glad you're along to share that enthusiasm, too. Ann Gunlock, editor of Embodied Magazine. Hey, let's talk about that story on the cover just a little bit about uh, guys. and sure. uh, A sense of duty and masculinity is something that might be yes. confusing for guys, let alone women today. And uh, guys are made to be guys, women made to be women. And it's it's okay to, you know, uh, have some traits in common, but it's okay to celebrate the traits that are different because that's how we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. And that phrase that kind of pops up a little bit in the article too and about toxic masculinity being being thrown around yes. kind of ends up tarnishing the the word and idea of masculinity as a whole which is sad right right and we've become messed up in so many ways and it's it's taken us a while to get here but you know i tend to think the feminist movement for all of its really good things that needed to happen kind of veered us off track in a lot of ways as well one of them is how we view men um, and I, you know, I, I have sons, I have a 33 year old and a 30 year old, and it's like, they have grown up in a different world than my husband did as far as knowing what it means to be a man. Um, and you're kind of almost afraid to, to live out the masculinity that God naturally gave you. And I love this article because, uh, Bill Donahue, who is, is the lead um, he's on the cover, and he's one of the lead voices in the in the article. Um, he he points it back to Genesis. You know, in Genesis, God created Adam, and clearly he was told he was in charge of the garden. His job his job was to cultivate it and nurture it. You know, so man is made to take care of things, to lead, to you know protect. Um, when when Eve came on the scene. Eve, immediately, her first sight was Adam. Woman was made more primarily for relationship. You know, women tend to naturally be more emotional and nurturing and sensitive, um, willing to care for the feelings of those around them. Men are more geared to take care of things, the family. But what Bill really brings out in this article, which he has learned through some dysfunction in his family and uh, having divorced parents, and um, he learned through learning theology of the body that his job was to protect and care for his wife and family, which means he's servant leadership, not um, dominating, you know, not controlling. His job, he sees as a husband and father, is to help his wife and children flourish as God wants them to. So therefore, he lays down his life. He's really looking for their good more so than his own. And in doing so, it just makes healthy dynamic in a marriage and family. Um, so I just think it's refreshing. And I don't think enough young people growing up or young couples today um, get exposed to this uh, vision of masculinity and femininity enough. So I, I love the article. 
And, you know, that idea that it, it has to be either or, like, okay, to be a yes. leader means to be just barking out orders. No, that idea of servant leadership, the kind of leader we would like to have in the workplace as an employee, that's someone we probably wouldn't really mind having in the household as well. That's going to take care of us, uh, and not just so we don't have to do anything, but, you know, kind of to help lead, to help protect, to, to want to care for. I, I forget where it, it came from, but years ago, I remember reading about the idea that, uh, you know, men were made for a handful of things, and I guess I'd be a better man if I remembered all three of them, but kind of some of the, the knight in shining armor thing where we, we want to, you know, fight for a cause, and we, you know, it's built in to kind of rescue a damsel in distress, and, you know, not in a patronizing way, but just in a in a way to help one another, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing, and and where it gets where it gets off track is where sometimes women, you know, well, you know, the, the scripture, wives obey your husband, but then we forget the next line, husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which meant he gave his life for the church. Mm-hmm. A husband is to lay himself down. Women don't hear that part enough. And, and that sunk in for me. I mean, I grew up in a world that taught women to be strong, to go after your career. You know, these are all good things. But in a marriage, you know, you have to find a balance. And when it sunk into me, that my husband is just wanting my good when he's seeking my good, what's best for me and my children and our family. It just makes your heart melt. It's like it gives, it raises the level of respect for my husband. It did for me, you know? So it's like, it's not like he's the only leader and I'm the follower. No, there's definitely a blend. But when you have that underlying, underlying, a vision, it just makes it so much easier and so much more fruitful and loving um, of a relationship. I mean, when my husband is willing uh, to suffer for me, oh my goodness, what can I do for you, dear? What can I, my heart just wants to give myself to him as well. It's an, it's a give and take and it feeds off each other when we're doing it in the right way. Is it too easy in just media soundbites and to get the wrong impression that it's an either-or thing? It's like, well, I can't right. be a strong woman if I let a guy help me, or guys are wondering, right. I, I, I can't do anything right. I'm just supposed to sit over here in the corner when I'm made to do a little bit more. Exactly, exactly. That's why, you know, actually, it's a good point, Glenn, because one reason I made this magazine, it's meant to be a gentle, um, inspirational uh introduction into theology of the body and it's it's enjoyable to read it's beautifully designed and so it's like you sit and savor this i've had readers tell me they love it when the next copy comes because they sit and savor it and they read articles over and over and that's what we need we don't need sound bites you know sound bites can be good they can be pithy they can be drive a point home but when you're trying to develop you know Uh, your vision of God and your faith. It's like you don't need sound bites. You need to sit and savor and take something in and let it sink into you. Um, So I like, I like that this magazine, oh, and I, that's the other thing that readers have told me. They love that it gets them off their phones. I mean, it was crazy (laughs) to try to come out with a new Catholic national magazine in 2021, I mean, all conventional wisdom says this is crazy. Nobody reads anymore. Well, they do read. 
and they also are glad. So it's almost kind of like a throwback. It's kind of like um, old school. It's like people are getting it and they love it and they sit and savor it. Um, and it and they're off their phone, which is good. You you learn things more when you read them in print. Um, uh, I love to hold paper, back. love to hold a paperback paper yeah. or glossy paper as well and, and read things off it. Hey, just a quick minute left, Anne, but maybe you can hit a couple of highlights of some of the other articles in the, in the current edition. Oh, there's a great one on social media. We're going to hit that topic kind of regularly about how it can, I mean, there's a lot of good to it, but it can dehumanize us and make us doubt our goodness because we are so comparing ourselves to everyone else so much. So that's in there. There's a great feature on uh, Samantha Kelly, who started an organization called Fierce Athlete. She's a woman athlete who learned theology of the body, and it healed her of some of the the negative connotations of femininity in the athletic world for women. You know, a lot of times they're like having to stuff down their femininity uh, because they need to be tough and competitive and, you know, strong. And it kind of messed up her thinking. Theology of the Body really helped her come out of that. And now she's mentoring other female athletes. There's another great article on um, a book, Finding Monica, which is about parents um, whose children have left the faith, uh, you know, adult children. And these two women who wrote a book about, you know, that and how um, they're helping other parents who carry that sadness. Um, so and, and just quickly before is, we go, just wanted to give you a chance to say where folks can get a hold of Embodied Magazine. Yes, it's at www.embodiedmag.org. And when you click subscribe, you, they, there's an opportunity to put in a promo code. And anybody who puts in morning air gets a 20% discount. Oh, that sounds like a great deal. Thank you so much, Anne. It's been great talking with you. Anne Gunlock with Embodied Magazine. Learn more about theology of the body through that. There's more coming up straight ahead. We'll take a look at Sunday's Gospel reading right around the corner uh, from Reno, Nevada. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg joins us next on Morning Air and on the Morning Air app. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. I'm on top of the world, And as our day gets underway, we hope you find yourself on top of the world as well. As Glenn and for John on Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we head out west now as we uh, go across the hill from uh, snowy Lake Tahoe to Reno, Nevada. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg joins us for a look at the gospel reading for this Sunday, this epiphany coming up. And uh, we start with me telling you what that gospel reading is here on Relevant Radio. The epiphany of the Lord comes from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and we have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising predicted them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. And time now to dive into that reading for the Epiphany of Our Lord out of Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12 for the Epiphany. And as always, we take that closer look with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Merry Christmas still, and uh, great to talk with you. Merry Christmas to you too, Glenn. Well, here we uh, we learn about uh, what it was really like, uh, a little more than it might look like in our nativity set in terms of the wise men coming and looking for Jesus. When we hear about the Magi, uh, especially as they're coming in Matthew's gospel to visit this newborn Christ child, um, they're really representing for us how to respond to Jesus and where to find Jesus. And that's very instructive for us because as disciples, we can't remain neutral in the face of Jesus. We have a responsibility to take our faith lives seriously and to um, put our gifts at the service of the Lord just as they did. And really to, to look at the proper place of our Lord, right, as the, as the King of the Jews, the, the first word spoken in the gospel. Uh, and uh, when we find out this is really a look at Jesus as a representative of God. Absolutely. You know, that question, where is the newborn king of the Jews, is a question that's going to hang over Matthew's gospel and is going to really lead us to the actual moment of Calvary, when the title, you know, king of the Jews, is prominently placed over the cross of Jesus. And um, so Jesus is going to reveal for us authentically um, who the king of the Jews is. And, uh, and he's going to do that because the king of the Jews is not so much a political leader or an ethnarch, um, but the king of the Jews is first and foremost to be a representative of God's presence for the people, God's justice, God's mercy, and Jesus alone authentically shows us the face of the Father, and he stands in stark contrast to the person who claims the title king of the Jews, which was Herod, um, but does not live, live up to that title. Jesus instead will live up to the title while himself not seeking it. And wise men studying the scriptures, always being alert to who the Messiah might be, when the Messiah might come, were looking for this king, weren't they? Yes, but it's an interesting um, uh, dynamic in this gospel passage. Notice that the wise men are first following their instinct of faith that's revealed to them through natural means, namely a star. And as they respond to that uh, very basic level of inspiration, uh, we might say natural revelation, um, that brings them only so far. It brings them to Jerusalem. But for them to arrive and correctly understand and recognize Jesus as the, the true Son of God, they have to consult the Scriptures. And so what that tells us is that in all of our faith lives, we may have a lot of experiences that um, incline us to seek God, but in order for us to have an accurate um, recognition and response to God, we need to consult the Scriptures, um, because nothing can replace the Word of God when it comes to um, leading us uh, to, to that divine encounter. And really that combination even speaks to uh, the Church helping us to interpret Scripture as well. 
Oh, absolutely it does. You know, and that's really what spiritual direction is all about, helping people to look at their lives, to recognize the movement of God, but but then to go beyond that and to understand the story of their lives um, in light of the story of God's um, saving work uh, throughout history and the scriptures. Taking a look at the gospel reading for the Epiphany of Our Lord uh, this Sunday out of Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12 with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. One of the things we learn, if we read closely now, is the age, roughly, of Jesus when the uh, wise men were looking for him. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, in Matthew's gospel, we're actually not told that they visit the babe Jesus, uh, but we're told that they visit the child Jesus. And those are two different words. So uh, Matthew kind of makes it very clear that Mary and Joseph had actually stayed in Bethlehem for a while and were actually living in a house. So the wise men did not visit the manger. They actually visited the house where uh, the very young family uh, was living. And um, and so that tells us that the wise men um, had undertaken this search uh, for a very long time. I mean, this was not just a weekend trip for them. (laughs) This was something that took literally probably um, a year or more uh, for them to be able to, you know, find Jesus, find this newborn king. Now, that's an enormous amount of perseverance. You know, that, that's something you don't do if you are locked in a culture um, of instant gratification um, or immediate results. That's perseverance. And so they're showing us what faith really looks like in action. You know, it's a, it, it's, it's a constant, ongoing, committed search um, until, until the Lord graces us uh, with the encounter with his presence. And Bishop Muggenberg, that long search couldn't have been easy for them, but especially today, like you say, in the society where everything and so much is avail- is readily available, easily, instantly good things and bad, that our lack of patience uh, grows almost daily, especially certain times of year as well. But what can we learn about uh, needing to kind of chill and wait a little bit uh, through this situation? Well, the first thing that we can learn is that uh, the wise men were not passive, um, yes, it took a lot of time. Yes, they had to remain committed, but, but, but they were not passive, just sitting there waiting for something to happen. They were actively engaged in seeking Jesus. And, um, and as you say, that was a difficult journey. I mean, travel today is painful enough. Can you imagine what it was like to travel for 18 months or two years um, that long ago? Um, so they really show us um, that that kind of sacrificial um, commitment to the truth commitment to encounter Jesus, um, willingness to put up with sacrifice, inconvenience, etc., because they under they knew that their highest priority was to find this newborn king. And nothing would deter them from that, nothing would distract them from that. And so they put their life at the service of that ultimate search. And I think for all of us, we need to ask ourselves the question, is our faith that important to us? That, that our encounter with Christ is the, is, is the highest priority of our lives each day. And Bishop Muggenberg, uh, finally here, always fun and insightful, too, to look at gifts that were given by the Magi. Yeah, you know, anytime um, we want to reflect on the meaning of the gifts, I really direct people to um, just read the verses of the of the very popular Christmas carol, We Three Kings. And I say that because those verses really spell it out. You know, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh actually reveal to us who Jesus is in his life and his ministry. 
Um, and that's what the word epiphany actually means, a uh, manifestation. So this is Jesus being manifested to the world through the symbol of these three gifts. So gold is the gift that's appropriate for a king. Um, frankincense, of course, is the gift that is offered as incense to God by the high priest. And Jesus embodies both high priest and divine reality. And then lastly, myrrh uh, used as an embalming agent. And so it tells us that Jesus in his humanity will die for us um, and for our salvation. And so those three gifts are revealing to us so much about our Lord's entire life mission um, and his identity. Wow, no socks or ties or things to be returned there. Uh, very good. We appreciate, as always, uh, the gift of your time and insights as we take a look at the gospel reading each and every week. Bishop Muggenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who calls all of us to put our lives at the service of the Lord, offering our gifts to him in an act of obedience, love, and sacrifice, always instill within us that fortitude, that commitment, that perseverance to never stop short in living our faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg joining us. Thank you so much, Bishop Muggenberg. We wrap up the hour with our Story Corner today as we continue our series of uh, stories on, on Christmas and that sad task that I'll start but not finish this weekend of taking down some of the decorations. It's called Admire Their Glow. I looked at my beautiful Christmas tree inside. It was time. The new year, a week old, and my tree still stood in the corner of our room with its collection of memories proudly displayed in a shower of colorful lights. I'd procrastinated long enough. I got up, went to the garage, and hauled all the boxes into the room. The garland was the first to come down. The tree looked already naked. I took the large ornaments off next. They made a large pile on our bed. An hour later, our bed was covered with Christmas memories. Each pile contained an ornament along with its matching brothers and sisters from sets purchased many years ago. I prepared the boxes and carefully placed ornaments in their protective packaging, pausing every few minutes to admire our favorites. Hey, little Santa, I said as I... Held the Santa from my childhood. Thanks for being my friend for almost 50 years. He was a little ragged, but still gives me a flood of wonderful memories. Until next year, my dear friend, there was a collection of handmade ones. My children made them in their first years in school more than 20 years ago. Made by tiny hands, they're far from perfect in design, but every year they go on my memory tree. Memories of young giggles on Christmas morning and a smiling face when they handed them to me when I came home from work. Look what we made, Daddy. Oh, it's beautiful. Let's find a special spot on the tree for it. Every year since, they're proudly displayed. A few hours after I started, I filled the boxes, and they were back in the garage. The room was vacuumed, and I sat staring at a barren corner. The room seemed so empty. It took me two days of work to assemble and decorate my tree, but only a few hours to take it apart. My tree is like a good marriage or a great friendship. Like the tree, they take a long time to assemble and decorate with memories, but can be torn down quickly. Quickly, it just takes an unkind word or thoughtless act. What once stood proudly in the glow of love comes tumbling down. Every year, I have to put my tree away, but not my marriage or friendships. I take great care of those. They get to glow in the corner of my life for as long as I live. I get to analyze my tree and find memories every few weeks, every year. I can do the same with the loves of my life every day. When I held the Santa, a flood of wonderful memories returned. The same happens when I hold my wife or see the smile of a friend across the room. So take great care of your friendships and your marriage. Once they come down, they aren't as easy to put back together as a Christmas tree, if at all. Stand them in that special spot in the corner of your heart and admire their glow. Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, 
a brother is born for adversity. That's our story today. You can access everyday's story in podcast form on the Relevant Radio app or on the website at relevantradio.com. Stick around. Much more of Morning Air on the other side of news headlines next.